I love your distinction of focusing on the motivation to achieve an outcome and the motivation to do something like the process or the actual action as two distinct things. And I think we've, we're on to something there that's really important. This is the strategy behind with Adam Cox, Yuta Tobias Mortlock and Matt Wilkinson. In this episode, we explore the strategy behind motivation. What does it take to uncover, focus and apply the energy needed to succeed? So I heard a great quote the other day, which was, why put off till tomorrow that you could something that you can put off to the day after? And, <laughs> and that really makes me think about, well, why do we do anything today? What is really, really what sits behind motivation? What sits behind those people that don't, aren't just good, but they're great? Um, is it motivation? Is it discipline? Is it dedication? And there's a whole host of conversation within there uh, that I'd love to explore. Uh, but first of all, I'd really like to go around the room today and just uh, just get a sense of what do each of you understand But when I say the word motivation? Because I think the lexicon here is going to be really, really important because for me, motivation is a really, really weak force. It's something that maybe gets you started, but it doesn't keep you going. Um, it's something that helps me go, I'm motivated to do this, but it doesn't get me up in the morning at six o'clock or to up before six to go for that early morning run in the cold and the dark. That's discipline. That's dedication towards a goal but I don't feel motivated. Um, it's about doing things when I don't want to do them that, that I feel are the things that make move me forward. Um, and so I'm really curious as to what people feel about sort of self-motivation around this and the definition of motivation. And then how, I guess, as we move the conversation through the conversation today, how do we then move that motivation to, to others? So maybe I can throw this over to, to Yetta, who's nodding. Yes, yes, yes. It's really funny, Matt, because um, I really think motivation is overrated as well. And as I'm listening to you, and I love that you're saying, it, you know, it gets you started, but it doesn't keep you going. Like, ka couldn't agree more. Um, and I think one of the biggest issues with motivation is that two things. Um it focuses on stuff that's somehow related to feeling motivated, feeling like doing something. Um, and that's quite an, an dangerous focal point, even though I am a real big person on focusing on feelings, but thinking that feelings are the primary, primary motivator in motivation is one of the big problems I think we're having. And the other thing that... People always talk about when they're talking about motivation is self-determination, self-discipline, self-motivation. And the truth is motivation is much more of a social, collective, contextual thing. And it's a shapeshifter. And we need to be more aware of that. And then we can harness it. Because motivate my motivation is largely driven by my relationship with you guys. And the quality of the relationship that I have with you guys, my motivation to show up here has very little to do with me feeling like talking about this concept at all. Adam? I agree and I don't, which is great. Um, for me, at least from my perspective, motivation is a force that pulls you through. Whereas something like determination is a force that pushes you forward. Mm -hmm. So I associate motivation with the outcome. I am motivated to do X. Okay. So how strong is your commitment to that objective? Will subsequently have a direct correlation to the power of the motivation. That's kind of one construct. The second construct is that motivation is both a positive and negative force. That I can be motivated to do something good, or I can be, because this is uh, desire, 
or I can be motivated to um, move away from something because it is you know, not fear, but you know, it, 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 it's, it's something that I need. To, it's avoidance or it's, you know, yeah, it's some, something to that effect. And I think the, the, the space that I think I disagree is in relation to the individual individual's relationship with the outcome with the objective, with the goal, because, and, and this comes down to purpose. Because if, if, if I'm going somewhere that is purposeful and depending on the individual's kind of makeup and their commitment to achieving purpose, then I would actually say that motivation is the force that pulls you forward. Not exclusively 100% like get on and the motivation gets it done. There's obviously other contributing factors. However, yeah, um, I, 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 I think I'm in, I think I'm in team yay motivation so far. Well, let's see where this goes. <laughs> so it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because I, I don't necessarily feel that motivation necessarily pushes me forward. Um, uh, there's great, and I think there's a lot of studies been done by the likes of Dan Arley and other behavioural economic, you know, economists looking at motivation. There's a brilliant one. A brilliant experiment where they got people to build these Lego Bionicles, as he calls them. There's these little Lego figures. Um, the and essentially what he did was he got people to um, to, to make them, and they pay them maybe a dollar uh, a Bionicle at the start. And each Bionicle they made, they earned a little bit less. Now in the control group, you get a packet of Lego and you take them away to your desk and you build the you build the Bionicle and you take it back and they give you another packet. That's kind of the standard case. And people would tend to build six or seven of these, particularly people that liked barnacles and building Legos. Um, and they'd get less and less money. And then at a certain point, they go, you know what, I'm bored of doing this. I'm going to go. So that was kind of the motivation. We're talking about money as a motivator here. Mm-hmm. Um, what was then really interesting, there was a purpose because they could see these things in front of them. And what happens if you then take purpose away and how do you take purpose away in that scenario? Well, what you do is you destroy the thing that you've just the person's just created in front of them. So yeah, so if you if I was to be asking you to bring those bionicles, you'd bring me the bionicle and I'd rip it to shreds and I'd give it back to you and I'd say make it again. And rather than building six or seven of these things, they build two or three. And so all of a sudden you're seeing the the, the sense of purpose they need the need to have a tangible outcome as part of whether it's motivation the, the ability of somebody to, to to complete a task um i'm sure we see this in work time and time again whereas if somebody if you go and you work really really hard on a report and you give it to your boss and they look through it and they go hey you can make some changes here and then it'll be great you feel motivated to go and make those changes if they don't even look at it and they just tip it, you know, stick it in the bin and go do it again, hey, you're just going to quit eventually. Um, you're not going to you're not going to be motivated to do that. So I think purpose here becomes really important. And then I guess my question is: Is it motivation to 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 meet that purpose, or is it actually dedication to the purpose, the commitment to that to, to achieving that purpose that's important? Because because you said Adam that it was commitment. And for me, that's something that commitment, discipline, that that for me is the really important thing that I latch on to. But I think it might be very, very personal depending on every, everybody's individual psychological makeup. Yeah, I, I also think there's a, a commonality of terms discussion that we need to have here because some of the things I think, if I've understood you correctly, have a degree of interchangeability. Mm. And so, so, okay. So what precisely do we mean by motivation? Uh, I think mm-hmm. motivation is something that we experience in service of a goal, purpose, objective. Like it, it, it's the experience that comes into us that then we react to with effort, discipline, tenacity, repetition, whatever. So is that motivation, my mind instantly goes, well, can motivation be artificially created? 
Yeah, um, that would be subjective on the strength of the purpose or the outcome. Is it worth it? And 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 that's up to the individual. Your turn. I think that's that's a, uh, you guys are raising so many uh, really juicy juicy topics. I love it. Um, so the I think motivation is a is a mental state in relationship to a stimulus, right? So I feel motivated towards this, and that can change, right? And mm -hmm. it's manipulated by either internal forces or forces externally to, to myself. And Adam, I love your distinction of focusing on the motivation to achieve an outcome and the motivation to do something like the process or the actually action as two distinct things. And I think we've, we're on to something there that's really important, but I'm going to park that because I think the definition of motivation and, you know, self-determination and intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, we need to chew through, first of all. Um, so if we're saying that motivation is almost like, you know, a mental, like an intention to do something, it's an intention in relation to a stimulus that we can interpret positively or negatively. And uh, many people, when they define motivation, talk about self-determination theory. So this really, okay. this fun theory that Dan Pink really popularized by saying people are driven by three things and this is fascinating that they're driven by autonomy and they're driven by competence and they're driven right so this is the the, the bionics that you know I, I build them and i want to have autonomy in building them and i want to be shown to be a good bionic builder and they're also driven by connection with other people so we're social animals and we care about how other people around us interpret our motivation or our intention to do something um and the, i always explain it like as a there's a two by two so if we're saying like external motivation ext extrinsic and intrinsic are on this continuum and feelings and thoughts are this dynamic it becomes a two by two so externally driven motivation is um extrinsic and extrinsic motivation classically is um, rewards it's controlled when you take it away it goes away but we're we're meaning makers we're purpose makers so it is not true to say that extrinsic motivation always motivates us isn't that interesting mm. that mm. we're not just machines that follow the carrot that says you know you get a bonus this year hence you're going to work harder it doesn't work and on the on that side of extrinsic is also this what psychologists called introjected motivation and introjected motivation is um this feeling like i should really get this work done i should really work a little bit harder because i might get an extrinsic reward in it and that's not the good motivation that's the bad side of motivation it's the the external side is really unhealthy because it's not stable because even introjected motivation can become we can hate it like you know the stimulus is the bonus or the recognition at work or the status um but then if we have do you guys have sometimes like nice ringtones when you set alarms and you associate something good with the, the, the ringtone is nice but if you hear the ringtone over time for getting up you associate bad stuff with a nice ringtone so we can change our relationship to any stimulus if we're not careful but so what's the other side the other side is the the good stuff right intrinsic motivation is stuff that's inherently fun that's the dimension of fun right you know i inherently love talking i inherently love connecting with people i inherently love ideas and intrinsic stuff is kind of the easy bit but most work stuff is not intrinsic because it's hard work we don't know where the rewards are coming from right being self-employed matt right it's challenging and so where do we want to go we want to go into that quadrant in the bottom right-hand corner, and that's this identified corner. This is where your purpose is coming in, Adam. This is the type of motivation that you feel that is not fun, and it's not really driven by external forces, but you identify with it. That's what Ditchy and Ryan are talking about this. And, and they are, you know, uh, Dan Ariely is building on that with, with all his experiments. So the identified motivation is the motivation that I feel when my baby cries at two o'clock in the morning, I have no interest in getting up, but I am a parent. I identify with being a parent. I see the distress of the child. It's who I am. 
or I show up to our meetings because I care, because the purpose of what we're doing is clear to me and it makes sense to me. Mm. And so it's to do with the values or the purpose that I feel. And then we can shift our focus from an outcome focus of what I want to achieve to the activity itself becoming enjoyable. So it's possible for identified motivations to become intrinsic, like flossing teeth for me over years has become intrinsically motivating, even though it used to be something that I thought I had to do. You know, I was kind of like, it's healthy for me. But because I've been doing it over time and I've seen, you know, I've been praised by my dentist for flossing so well, it's become, it's shifted in that quadrant, you know, from, mm-hmm. from like driven by logic to driven by feeling. And it's the purpose, stupid. Mm-hmm. Adam, you are on it. Purpose and process, not outcome. Yeah, and what this, uh, it's interesting, like, because when you go down to that bottom right quadrant, as I kind of picture your two by two in my mind, what I saw show up there was Simon Sinek's golden circle, which is what we do on the outside, how we do it as we work our way into the center, and why we do it in the middle. And he looks at it, you know, he's got this TED talk from many years ago and it's seen a zillion times and everyone loves it. But it's, it's, you know, being clearly, even from a corporate perspective, you know, everyone can say what you do. Everyone can say how you do it from you know, a unique differentiator from the market or whatever it happens to be. But can everyone turn around and say why the organization does what it does? Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same thing within people. You know, why do we do what we do? to the flossing example it's you know you you you've seen the value over time change the you know when you were eight years old this might not have been of any value but now you're just like this is the greatest thing but what motivated you to stay on that path was it the reward of the dentist kind of talking you up and that was a big enough hit to get you through or was it something else it's feelings, yeah. It is feelings, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's feelings. It Either fear, yeah, fear, fear of getting it a filling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's you know, it's like it's become part of who we are to brush teeth, and you know, and, and mm. for most of us now, also to floss teeth. It's we don't even really cognitively think about it, and I think we should also talk about automaticity and that. Mm motivation is a tricky concept because a lot of stuff is below our intellectual cognitive ability to really even analyze why we do it but we should mo- you know maybe understand more about what is satisfying what's meaningful you know what is something that almost at a precognitive or at a you know uh, experiential level makes sense to us and then we're kind of crack the code of motivation so I can't completely answer the questions of why, even though I think the why question is important. And it's more than that. There's almost... Like the ex- yeah, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, there's almost a component that then leads into... Over time, does it then almost lead into ritual? which is a yeah. whole yes. different thing again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how do you make positive behavior ritualistic? Because then there is a different motivator attached to it as opposed to objective. It's closely, more closely linked to identity, which is... I'm handing this over. But, yeah, sorry, I'm handing this over to Matt again because Matt said motivation might get you going, but it doesn't keep you going, get you started, but doesn't keep you going. Mm. So how, how does that sound to you, Matt, what Adam just said? Yeah. Yeah, so there definitely is an element to have it. Um, I think one of the things that we that we have to look at in, in any of these, I think, motivation conversations is that you have this, uh, at least as I see it, um, you have to be able to, to, to put off the, 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 the instant gratification potentially of staying in bed, of eating a donut with the longer-term goal, right? So if, you, if you're wanting to, to lose weight... Um, 
it, it sounds easy, right? You just eat less. You just eat fewer calories than mm-hmm. than you than you burn, and you eventually over time you will lose weight. But actually, when you go and you see whatever it is, whether it's the piece of chocolate cake or you know cheesecake, whatever it is, and you go right, I'm having that, and you end up eating far too much of the foods that are gonna you know they're gonna put you over that calorie spike. All of a sudden, you end up going, well, hang on a second, uh, I really want to look like that whatever that is i really want to get to that point but it's being able to balance the the short-term rewards versus the long-term goal and so i think that's where it's usually where you get sort of a couple of weeks in you know usually you can stick with motivation for a week or two where that i'm really motivated it's january i'm going to hit the diet i'm going to go and go to the gym you see the gym's really really busy for two weeks and then it tails off and by the end by the beginning of february they're dead and I think that you need to be able to build habits um, and rituals and a sense of um, commitment either to people or to a, you know, a, to a ritual, whatever it is, that allows you to keep going and push through. And I think for me that, that talk comes down to discipline is the word I would use, discipline and dedication. Because the number of times it's horrible outside and I don't want to go for a run. I don't want to train. And it's often those, those ones where you really don't want to do it, but you push through, which are the ones that move you actually end up moving a needle. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there is something in this about being able to postpone the comfort of the duvet for the cold of the, the outside, the, the, you know, the, the tastiness of the donut for the, you know, for the six pack, if you will. That, yeah. that to me feels like that there's a you have to have something that allows you to see past mm-hmm. the, the the hill in front of you versus the long-term mountain yeah mm. i totally get it and i think what you're describing matt is delaying gratification and being mm-hmm. clear consciously clear about short-term versus long-term you know short-term impulse versus long-term goal and that's the what um the the why is what i think i want adam to talk about more now like mm. why do I delay gratification? Um, why would I develop that ritual, you know, conscious habit of getting up, even though it's February and it's cold? Yeah. So what's this thing about purpose? And, you know, where does where should we go there? Because that's the thing that we have to go conscious because we can't just say we're all automatic and we're, you know, driven by subconscious short-term impulses. So can we go a bit further into purpose, values, identity? Yeah. Let me start incrementally and then walk our way out because something that Matt said kind of triggered a pretty strong thought that, you know, motivation will get you so far and then, you know, the discipline and the commitment and the long-termism and I'm absolutely a long-term thinker in spades. Um, However, when it is dark and snowy and cloudy and at 6 a.m. you don't want to get up and go for a jog, um, it's a trade-off decision. And the trade-off decision is made solely with the short-term consideration in mind. So I think you need to reconcile that short-term trade-off decision to go, okay, I'm the short-term benefit is staying in a warm bed. Um, what is the short-term detriment of getting out? Or what is the short-term detriment of getting out? So you can look at it. I'm, 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 the way I'm framing it up in my mind is don't look at going outside for a run in the cold as a, as a negative. Look at it as a positive. And the way that you can start to frame up that thinking is obviously to break down longer-term goals into more consumable short-term objectives, things that you can rationalize. Like one of my favorite sayings is, do something today that tomorrow's self will thank you for. And even that is a mental construct, if you say it out loud, will start to put the balance of the trade-off between warm bed versus tomorrow happy Adam, um, or a thankful Adam, or a grateful Adam. So I'm I'm... I'm I'm kind of taking the long-term purpose and I'm breaking it down into incremental incremental consumable units that can then successfully combat the warm bed or can successfully combat more powerful shorter-term objectives or desires because that because what I'm interested in is why do people stop going to the gym in February? 
because mm. everyone's there, but it falls by the wayside. And I've seen it in organizations, I've seen it in individuals, you see it in governments, you see it in all all facets of of the humanities. And I think Yuta to now go towards your question, let's discuss about purpose. I think purpose needs to be flexible enough to be broken up to have an axe go through it into significantly more consumable you know, breadcrumbs that will lead you back to where you're standing all the way to objective. It, you know, the loaf of bread needs to be broken up. Yeah, mm. micro-purpose. I love to the that. I love that idea. That we need to, and, and it's because we're hardwired to be short-term thinkers, right? So we're hardwired to think about now, and it's really not, mm. not satisfying, not rewarding uh, experientially to be a, a short, a long-term thinker. But a micro-purpose of even like a 10-minute advance is all in line with all the procrastination theory, right? The, the procrastination theory today says we shouldn't just do it, we should just get started. That's what Tim Pickle says. You know, you know, the one practical thing of 30 years of procrastination research is just get started because your mood will change as you do it. Mm. And it's a micro purpose, isn't it? It's not a, mm. not even, it doesn't even go as long as t- tomorrow. It goes in 10 minutes, you will feel different. And this is the fallacy that is a problem with the classic motivation discourse or discussion that you say you have to, uh, change how you feel about things it we think we need to change how we feel to do something but actually doing something will change how we feel in retrospect so the the, the causality is the wrong way around mm-hmm. and realizing that that awareness is really helpful um can i talk a little bit more about um intention and choices as you are developing your your path adam or are you still in the middle um, I think intention, intention is a longer term mental construct mm-hmm. and there needs to be a pull strong enough to see it through because, mm. you know, I intend to do a lot of things. There are a lot of things I've been very well intended and have, and have not acted on. And so I think there needs to be some form of lens on which to look at that. And again, it goes back to another quick, you know, throwaway sentence that I love. Um, it's not what you want. It's what's good for you is the right question. Like, don't do what you want, do what is good for you. And then, so if, if you look at something like that, you know, I, I think what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take down, I'm trying to take the longer term constructs and break pretty much most of them down into more consumable pellets because if they're more consumable, then you're more likely to swallow it. If you're more likely to swallow it and you understand you consciously, you're very aware that there is a benefit of going to the gym, you know, five days a week for three years. And you know, this will be my outcome, whatever it happens to be. But there is this also, I think the role of tenacity. I'm, I really like it's this, you know, irrespective of your skill or your capability, obviously, if you're, you know, perfect practice makes perfect. If you're perfecting your craft and you've got that repetition and you've got that tenacity, you will improve. Benefits will come to you until you get to a point of diminishing returns when you mm-hmm. get right up there. But what is it? If you practice something for, you know, 10,000 hours, irrespective of what it is. Deliberate you're though. Yeah, blah, deliberate blah, blah, practice yeah. though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, just yeah. Any, it's, any odd. Yeah, per- mm-hmm. yeah perfect purposeful. practice makes perfect. Purposeful, mm-hmm. purposeful. purposeful. Yeah, exactly. Practice, yeah, yeah so, so so it's 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 once we lay out kind of, you know, if we get uh, motivation, discipline, um, you know, tenacity, all of these kind of, longer term constructs break them down into shorter term objectives and then find ways to communicate them and find ways to act on them and find ways to reconcile you know the warm comfy bed versus whatever or not going for stretch goal because i've already made already made my numbers or whatever it happens to be then we can start to look at okay how do we then integrate that into motivating others whether it be family or kids or teams or leaders or whatever it happens to be but it all has to tie back to purpose 
be back in a moment. You're listening to the strategy behind. My addition to that is that purpose or understanding my intended purpose is just one of the drivers that in the moment gets us to choose B over A. So I'm really, I think, can we just linger a little bit more on, on like the process of how we make decisions or the process of how we evaluate situation? Because I think the how to of how we get to either being aware of our long-term purpose, even if it's a micro long-term purpose or not, mm-hmm. is really important for us to then know how to change it or how to consistently behave how we want to in line with our purpose. And, and it mm-hmm. goes back mm-hmm. to this triangle of um, uh, the, the triangle that, that um, I often use to explain mindfulness is this triangle of intention. And then the classic definition of mindfulness is where, where you're aligned, your intention, your attitude, and your awareness is aligned. I think a more helpful way of putting this triangle together is like your intention is clear. Your purpose is clear. Your uh, attitude is a bit like the story, the impulse that comes up when you're confronted with that stimulus. You know, like uh, alarm bell rings. It's six o'clock. It's November. It's dark. What story comes up in my head? You know, what attitude do I bring to this? Mm. I bring maybe an attitude based on bad experience, based on disappointment to that intention. And that's the other angle that's always there when when I'm confronted with that stimulus. And the third is the choices that I have consciously or unconsciously. So what are these micro decisions that most of the time when, when we make choices or when we respond to a stimulus, like the alarm getting up, we're not aware that actually we do have a choice. The process goes super like microseconds, right? Uh, I see the alarm. I remember I wanted to get up because the alarm goes at six o'clock. Um, but I actually think maybe I can start tomorrow. And so the, the, the decision uh-huh. is unconscious to say, I have the choice to actually get up or not. But actually, my attitude has already, or you know, my story has already clouded it. And so what does mindfulness add to this? Mindfulness adds awareness to it and either classic meditation or models or you know, exercises mm. to become consciously aware that actually my voice inside tells me, you've tried this before, you're not going to succeed. Hence, it clouds the choices that you make. And so that's why, by the way, also, the science on mindfulness says mindfulness only really helps people be more motivated with things that they are, that they value, that they are intrinsically motivated already for. Mindfulness practice in work context, especially, and this is the, the latest meta, meta study that has, has just been published, says when you get people to be mindful about stuff that is controlled, that's intrinsic, they actually become more aware of the controlled, contrived nature of it. So mindfulness makes people less motivated to do stuff that's not in line with who they are. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. So we, where do we want to go if we want to help leaders and teams to be motivated to do difficult tasks we need to stick yeah. with what you've been talking about purpose yeah. identity values yeah 100 before we jump there i'd, I'd just ahead. like to just like to add in is that that actually one thing i think i find personally very helpful here is the alarm goes off in the morning it is cold it's dark i don't want to get up yada 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 all those stories the thing that I find that really helps is the identity piece. I have a plan. I stick to the plan. I am the crazy guy that goes out and does X. I think if you've got that identity that says you do something every day, that says that you this is a, a choice you've made and that it's an easy choice to stick to. Now, when I say easy choice, I don't mean that it's easy to do. I mean it, that it's simple to um, conceptualize. I think that's really important. So you find that with diets, there's a lot of fad diets right now, one way or another. um, And I don't want to get into the conversation of of, of weight loss in general, because there's so much argument about that. But so many of those diets, whether they're 5-2 or intermittent fasting, the net result, or, or you're cutting out certain food groups, whatever it is, a lot of the net result of that is that you eat less calories. 
Yeah. And therefore, <laughs> therefore, they're going to work because it's harder to eat enough calories if you get rid of an entire food group. So, or if you're not eating for, for five, you know, for a couple of days a week or whatever it is, or you're not eating, you know, you're skipping entire meals. And so I think part of the, that motivation comes with identity. And, you know, I've been in, I've been in roles in the past where you really, really um, identified with, this is my responsibility to get X done. And as that, as things expand, as that, um, maybe as some of those responsibilities get chipped away and pushed to other people, all of a sudden your identity as the, the, the sole person responsible gets diminished. And after a while you end up going, well, what am I doing here? And so I think that as we move to think about people, you know, motivating others, I think a key thing is about having a clear identity about what the purpose of them in work is. I think that identity mm-hmm. of the team mm-hmm. is really important. Um, and it also brings back to, and I'm probably not explaining this brilliantly, but it also comes back to the, the social construct side of this is that who am I, who am I working with? How much do I enjoy, you know, uh, how I, am I working with people that I really don't want to let down, you know, or can I just, you know, go, you know, call in a sick one day. And if actually, if I'm working with people, I don't feel like I can let down. There's no way I'm going to call in sick when I just feel a little bit ill. Mm because I'm going to soldier through because they're important to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's, there's quite a lot in that before I, I kind of kick it over. But I think identity with the purpose and identification with purpose becomes really, really crucial as you move to motivating groups. Mm-hmm. And for me, the how-to of shaping identity or of creating a, an identity, and it's always a social construct because I... I don't see myself. I see your response to me. So my identity is shaped by um, how I think you see me. Uh, the how-to is to ask questions about, uh, such as what's important to you? What's valuable to you? What's a priority for you? Um, um, why does this make sense? So when we ask for people to to say, you know, who are you? What's going on? We can break this down by asking simple questions because everybody can explain to you when you ask them what's important about this or they can say why this is not important to them. And then you can hear what values they have and what's, you know, what's the right thing that's going on. What's the priority in their life right now? You know, I don't value working late because I have a small child at home, for example. It is not a priority for me and values can shift, but values The definition of values is the reason why an activity makes sense to you. And so if I understand what you value and what's important and what's a priority in your life, you and I don't have to share this identity, but at least I can understand why you either get up or you don't get up. You either work late or you don't work late with me. And then we can have a a conversation about how we can complement each other as a team. Mm -hmm. Mm. I think what what we're touching on here is the credibility of the individual and that individual being consistent. Like I absolutely agree that values uh-huh. change over time, but there is this, like, you know, you're when you're naming off, you know, some of the things that, you know, the answers to the questions that you would ask to understand where someone is at. In my mind, I'd say that is, you know, that is criteria. Now, you know, when you look at the criteria, what is the weighting of the criteria? You know, this is more important than that. Great. But then you do not want to be seen flipping on the criteria to suit your short-term uh, trade-off. You know, oh, yeah, I, I really want to go out and you know, go for this jog at 6 a.m. But no, I really value sleep today. Sleep is more important than that. And then what happens is that you lose credibility. And then when you look take mm-hmm. that sort of you know flipping behavior into leadership you're doomed you know like it's you know you, you end up with this incongruence you know this delta between you know what you say and what you do and and they don't match like that's absolutely how you destroy any form of motivation or team engagement or commitment to the cause or reaching the goal or whatever yeah. it happens to be so mm-hmm. i think the criteria that 
drives the identity in the individual making decision or the individual leading a team making decisions um, has to be a constant. And if it's not a constant, everyone needs to understand why are we in a state of flux where my values and identity are changing? Because if everyone understands, then there's tolerance to kind of work through that and still keep the motivation to keep moving forward. Can I um, rephrase criteria as behavioral standards or rules of the game or the way we culture, even the way we do things around here. Mm, So it's like, what standard of behavior do I expect from myself and to you? Because as you were speaking, Adam, I was thinking about, you know, leadership, either myself or other leadership that I've seen in organizations when people are inconsistent or when people get it wrong or when I am not as kind or fair to my teenage children as I want to be, they pick up on it, right? So we, we spot when people are inconsistent. We're hardwired to spot for people not being their behavior not being in line with the standard that they purport to kind of live according to or whatever. My English, this is a complicated sentence. Um, but you know what I'm saying? That yeah. we have to, we're watching out for consistency all the time. And so what you call criteria, for me, are standards. And that then becomes a matter of pride. And then, Matt, it goes back to who I am. Like, I am not some, I am a team player. And I'm watching you. Are you a team player? And if you are, it becomes more of a shared culture and a shared habit of we do this for each other. This is what we do for each other here. And then the choices become less, almost like less tradable, right? In your criteria, in your in your spreadsheet, Adam, mm-hmm. we then have fewer choices, not because we're shamed by others or guilt made feel guilty, but because we buy into the goodness or the long-term, the strategic, it's strategically good for us it's wholesome for us in the long run to be kind to be yeah in the long run in the long run is is absolutely the key there because it has to tie back to the long-term needs and if we put it into a team construct you know we have to have that long-term needs of the business or the group or the collective um they absolutely have to link to the individual needs and desires of the individual like the you you Mm. need to map you know, if we're going to go over here and do this thing as an organization, well, then someone needs to sit down and then map that journey for the individuals. Because if you have a misalignment of needs between what the individuals are looking for and the objective of the business, then you then you know we have a problem that we need to address. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it can't be overcome, but how many organizations map? the business needs to the employees' specific needs. Good managers do it. How many good managers are there? That's another conversation for another I'm day. I'm thinking of Swans and Owens, right? Like stakeholder wants and needs and, and own wants and needs. And yeah. I actually don't really like the word wants and needs. I almost think mm-hmm. wants and needs is more short-term. It could be, of course, long-term. But I actually think mm-hmm. values and purpose or identity almost shapes this discussion towards mm-hmm. the the long term right mm-hmm. i don't really think it's all that healthy or productive to talk about stakeholder or employees needs or wants mm-hmm. but i think it's really healthy and productive to talk about um employees values and employees purpose because then we're moving towards this intrinsic stuff and mm-hmm. we might have to do something as leaders of organizations to align our operations to be more in line with the identity and the purpose or the values of the employees but not necessarily because of yeah. their needs or wants, Adam. But would it not? Would it not be potentially then a circumstance that you'd break down the purpose and the values, which are long-term yeah. objectives, and the wants and needs are potentially the broken-down short-terms of those purposes and values? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not too sure. I'm just thinking because if we're taking longer-term constructs and breaking them down to something that's more palatable when someone's got to make a shorter-term decision, maybe it's the same thing just by another name. I also really like, I'm, I'm coming back to your idea of micro purposes. I really like that. Mm. I think this is, we should trademark this. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I think the way to get to micro purposes is it's practical to say, what are our priorities in the moment, yeah. right? What yeah. are our priorities today, yeah. this week, this month by Christmas? Yeah. And we can then, but, you know, could we put like a lens onto it and like, you know, glasses and say, okay, these are wants and needs, but we're going to always think about yeah. what's the long-term picture of it you know like always thinking like wants and needs but yeah you're mapping it 
we're mapping it to long-term identity, long-term purpose. Yeah. So we're not keeping sight of the long-term nature of um, why it makes sense to us in the long term. Okay, Anything well then, we then, do. Yeah, a long-term lens. You know, I want a long-term, mm. I want long-term glasses. Yeah, well, then, then maybe it's just a circumstance that wants and needs are micro values and micro purposes. Mm. Yeah, and it's, yes. it's it's often. Yes, I think it's often mm. really, really hard to take that to take that long term view purpose and and bring it into to, into today, especially when people are tired. They're you know you've got other pressures on. You tend to fall back to shall we say, maybe more negative learned behaviours than potentially the, the new culture, new behaviours that you want to adopt as to, to move you towards your next goal as an organisation. And so I think when you're saying those micro purposes, those, those micro values, they become so important because they're just small steps along the way. And so you can very easily identify, hey, so the first thing we're going to do in this big change programme is we're going to do X. We know we're going to go over here. We know that we've got a burning platform behind us, but the first thing we're going to do is this. And we're going to practice until we've got that one in place. And then we're going to move to the next one. And so it, it almost becomes that, that point where you're just taking small steps along that journey without conf without overwhelming people with the, the scale of what you're trying to achieve. Mm, yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. And I think just to kind of take that a step further, there needs to be time and investment spent into the employees to clearly map where the accumulation of their short to medium actions lead to the team mm. destination or objective or strategy or goal mm. or whatever it happens to be. But it's, it's because getting the buy-in and creating that culture of, dare I say, trust or clear understanding of going, well, this is, we're giving people the why because we're saying, hey, look, we want you to do a backflip twice a day. But what the backflip is going to do is it's going to help us move in this particular direction to reach this objective to get us over here. And your backflip is incredibly important to us as well as we're here to support you learning how to do a backflip. Uh, okay, I've got it. I'm part of something bigger. The purpose is greater than my own purpose. Mm. And, and and then I'm starting to sew, sew it all together. Then I can see the, the, the value, value in being motivated because it I becomes think, something bigger. I think I'm going to invoke the motivational interviewing um, uh, route here and ask you, Adam, to shift the framing of this from a, a frame of persuasion to a frame mm -hmm. of helping people becoming motivated to see the value by themselves because the way you've just talked it makes sense to me but it was almost a language of a leadership team needing to persuade an employee to understand the rationale of something that's good for them but we know that any stimulus even if it's logical can be interpreted positively or negatively especially yep, when somebody else puts it on to me and it's it's i find this really uh, tough to accept because i would just like to tell my beautiful teenagers that what I know is good for them is good for them. But when I persuade them or when I tell them that it's good for them, they, they sure as hell don't want to buy it. But when I ask them what's important to them and how what their needs and their purpose and their identity is, how that relates to how we're running this operation, we're running this ship of this family <laughs> here, um, then I am creating a space for motivational interviewing, that means mm. I'm allowing a space for people to almost chew through the cacophony of mm -hmm. different values, different purposes. And I would strongly argue that any leader in any organization should not underestimate and should almost not underinvest in the time to let different voices of values and purpose and identity speak so that they then generate. Yeah. The alignment, not that we tell somebody mm -hmm. that a, a double backflip every day is in line with what's good for you. BS. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right? I, 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 You're right, I completely and I want agree. to frame yeah. it the other way, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree because what you've just described in my world is top is, is bottom up, top down strategic planning, exactly, yes. which is the first people. Yeah. yeah, and the number of organisations that do that that I saw last time I looked at a piece of research was about fifteen percent. 
Yeah. Like the vast majority of command and control. For better or worse, for culture, for exactly. hierarchy, for, for... Yeah, there's a thousand reasons why command and control top-down is the default. I'm by no means defending it that it's the right way to go forward. Mm-hmm. So, like, so, yeah, I absolutely agree. It's just a mm-hmm. circumstance of... If, you know, if let's say you know, I'm the CEO of a top-down organization, I say we're going left. I then, yep, absolutely have to go and convince, hey, everyone, you need to do the backflip because left is where we're going and blah, 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 blah. That is a harder sell, 100% agree. There needs to be some form of discourse back and forth to be like, okay, well, are you good at back backflipping or are you good at some, uh, you know, cartwheels? Okay, well, let's talk about, you know, what it is. There is an expectation that I need you as an employee to do something. Mm-hmm. It is still command and control in many organizations and the way where my mind was going with it is spend the time to map because you might be finding that the person you're asking to do the backflip can never do a backflip hates backflips should be doing something completely different and then you can have a conversation about resource reallocation retraining upskilling Mm. uh whatever it happens to be to still have that team input into the creation but I'm, I'm the the unfortunate reality is that the vast majority of strategy is set upstairs before any employee gets to look at it. And it's so not even just out of hubris. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's not hubris. It's 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 just that people don't see what they don't see. It's almost the blind spot mm. of leadership that uh, doesn't see that there might be actually you know it might be return on investment to spend time listening and asking mm. questions. But if I don't ask questions. I don't find out the stuff that I don't know. And yeah. we're talking about motivation here. And so mm. asking about employees' motivations or asking them how an activity could be motivating and in which way it could be motivating or demotivating mm. is actually core to generating buy-in to a corporate strategy becoming a sustainable strategy, really. So this mm. it's almost... Uh, ludicrous to think that we shouldn't actually front load our efforts into generating, not even generating buy-in, but generating questions about how does that relate to who you are and what's important to you. There's something else that I think is really important here that uh, is a bit, you know, my hobby horse is that we don't think collectively enough and that we, in all of our discussions of what we should do and what leaders should do differently, we're still having this this great man theory of leadership that we talk a lot about at Cranfield, right? So we're, we have still this great theory that this great man or woman mm. can do it by themselves. But especially when things get tough, my self-awareness is the last thing that I can rely on. But you always see more whether my behavior is in line with my standards. So... At uh, recently, a dear colleague of mine at City said, "We need to teach our students more to think collectively, to not think that we have to shoulder this all by ourselves, mm. and to, that we have to be responsible to be motivated and stay motivated. But if you watch me and you are trained and rewarded for watching out for when my motivation veins, V's and W's, tough for Germans, right?" Right, veins or not wanes? Wanes, wanes. It's the wrong way around. I always get wanes. them wrong. When my motivation wanes, right? <laughs> you are more aware of it than I, much quicker. And so we need to think collectively when we think about motivation, and we need to think about how whatever we're doing here becomes something that is a team effort. Because awareness, and this is like my big hobby horse, mindfulness as awareness, mindfulness is the same as awareness, unless it's a team effort, it's, it doesn't have enough teeth because my self-awareness is nowhere near as good as your awareness of my mm. standard mm-hmm. in line with who I, you know, tomorrow, Utah's tomorrow, Adam and Matt are more aware of than Utah, especially when the going gets tough. Mm. And, and it's your job to remind me. And I think... I think we can see that in each other. We can see, you know, just the, the facial expressions, that the little give tells that we don't necessarily spot um, very easily um, because we, we read so much from body language that we don't, we're not even conscious of ourselves. I think that's the other element, of course, here as well, that if you can get that team motivation, um, 
let's just say that I'm really not motivated for the conversation today, which is, of course, untrue. But if I wasn't, the mo- you know, the just the how much seeing how motivated and enthusiastic you guys are today, I couldn't. There's no way I couldn't be brought up to at least 70, 80, 90 percent of that level. And so I think that there is the uh, it's almost the, the, the kind of the herd mentality in some senses that we that we all want to to feel part of something that is bigger than us. And so I think if there is a big you know, if there is a big change, there is a big, you know, uh, shall we say, uh, direction that a, a team needs to move in. The goal to be achieved, a big purpose. If everybody's enthusiastic, it moves. As soon as you start hearing dissenting voices, and those dissenting voices aren't countered, yeah. the the motivation you can see the motivation and the wheels dropping off. And it's very easy to see how quickly just one dissenting voice can completely destroy, um, a, you know, a, a really positive step forward if it's not dealt with in the right way. Yeah, because yeah. what you're touching on now is a confidence quotient mm. in the purpose and the objective. Mm. Because if if either the leader of the team or the team members do not believe that they will be successful, like if the three of us wanted to catch up today for this conversation and... Mm one of us felt like we weren't up for it and the other two went like, you know what, this is kind of, yeah, we're biting off more than we can chew. We don't really believe in where these sessions are going, blah, blah, blah. Then instantly it's going to lose steam. But Mm -hmm. we have a confidence and a belief in what we are doing and why we are doing it. Mm -hmm. And then when others see that, it becomes infectious. Contagious. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that becomes from a confidence quotient. Now, whether that's explicitly stated, but the way to find that out is when you're trying to gain motivation within others, you ask them the questions. Mm. How confident do you feel that you can, you know, complete your duties and your role and, you know, mm. do do what it is you need to do for us all to reach that? And how confident are you in us as a business to achieve this mm. and get good, honest feedback? Because then you can start to unpack what is missing, what is there, where some of the challenges are. Um, and uh, again, <laughs> if it's mentionable, it's manageable. Um, it, it, it really starts to uncover the poison that can kill motivation because and- if someone with authority kind of, you know, shoots it in the head, it's over. Yeah. I just think, um, I, I do think we need to add a caveat to this, um, because we don't need everybody to be confident, but we need everybody to be heard in team efforts and i agree that poison that kills motivation is real but only if it's not heard i think there's an an completely Mm. underestimated and still not so it's countercultural to just look at dissent in the face and to look at criticism at what you know as what it is criticism about a plan is just criticism the emotional baggage or The poison only gets bigger when it's not looked at and allowed to be there. So Mm -hmm. this is, and I think it's true that leaders have to have the confidence in not letting a session become a moaning session and getting completely derailed from purpose because they need to have their spine strong enough about the purpose of, you know, who they are. They're shepherds. They're supposed to, you know, steer the conversation that also means getting somebody to be quiet about what could be potentially poison but if that person doesn't have due process in being heard nobody so that person that poison can spread can't it you know like you you, we all know these guys right The, the facetious kind of green antagonistic people and by bringing them in as leaders we're taking the poison out of their sails by getting them publicly to air their views and to say, actually, let's reset our standards, our purpose. Mm. This is what we're here to do. We're not here to just moan. But it is poison gets bigger when it's not acknowledged. Mm. And poison becomes learning, right? 
if we're allowing it to be there. If you allow it to be, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything it, 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 always it, changes. My motivation yeah. always changes. Every stimulus changes all the time. So this is what we, how are we going to get that as our, not like a message to, to go come across? It's and I would say that. Changeable. And That's I would say that poison is why everybody leaves the gym in January, you know, that fails to make it to February in the gym because they go in with this motivation, with this view of I'm going to go to the gym every day. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. I'm going to work really, really hard. And I'm going to see great results. And two weeks later, they haven't really seen very much. They might've lost a few pounds. They might have a slightly bigger bench press or whatever it is, but actually it takes a long, long time to get the results. And everybody wants the magic pill that solves the problem today nobody well i say very few people are really willing to work hard at those big those big scary goals because we're not designed to be like that we're designed no. to, to live today because we don't know if we're going to live yeah. tomorrow. you know we're not stupid that's just how we're designed but that's why the, the the power of the crowd comes in yeah with motivation and all the nudges all the behavioral uh economy uh stories are talking about motivation as being a shared thing you know me telling my friends and husbands about what my target weight is and then being mm -hmm. held accountable and that's not really pleasant but it makes it possible it's not a mm -hmm. i'm not an island yeah and, no and this an also with motivation yeah, yeah and this also then feeds into the plotting the progress approach because mm -hmm. if you're making it public and it's being shared and you're getting the poison out of the system because nothing is ever perfect never and should admit that that's the case, that there are going to be people who push back or certain things that pop up that throw the plan off or whatever it happens to be. It doesn't mean that everything stops. It means you adapt. Mm -hmm. So if you understand the progress, you can at least get, you know, a couple of steps into it and be like, okay, this isn't a case for abandonment. This is a case for course correction. Mm. But you need to be honest in the face of what is what is happening because there's been no shortage of you know plans that have been architected that are completely wrong, and everyone has insisted that they achieve the end of the wrong plan. Um, you know, we need to have a little bit of self awareness. So it, it's not you know let's be motivated to do X at all costs. You know there needs to be a realism, you know, a spoonful of realism in it. And you know, to your point, Yuta having those naysayers or having those dissenters or having that external perspective that is not necessarily complementary to, you know, continuing, you know, the continuing motivation yeah. growing forward, uh, you know, all good, you know, warm and fuzzies, just making sure that we get those out in the air because you're absolutely right. The things that are unsaid, the things that everyone knows are the mm -hmm. things that kill good plans. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm. very nice i like it i like it excellent the strategy behind motivation i like and it there will be more because i think we've come up with probably another five topics just within this topic of things we've got now got to pull up <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think the, the key takeaway for me are the micro purposes how to get to a micro purpose and break down the big, hairy, audacious purpose down into something that is literally just at the other end mm. of my, yeah. my time horizon. I love that. Yeah. I have to say mine probably comes to the, the nice two by two. Mm. And what I'm really interested in exploring for myself is how I can spend more time understanding how I sit in that intrinsic not fun place to to explore my why and get a much much stronger sense of why i do things to help build the rest of you know to help build that resilience to, to achieve against plans mm -hmm. yeah i think mine is is definitely again also that, that that micro purpose but i'm more interested in the trait getting it to a point of granularity where it will get you out of bed or it will help you make a decision that's in support of the objective. Because mm. if you can get that, then it's just one foot in front of the other. It Then it comes back to repetition. And then if, mm. if, if you walk in the right direction, you're aware, aware of your environment and what's going on around you. Again, to your point, you know, the key to motivation is just starting. Mm. Mm. Just get started. 
Excellent. Nice. Good work. More to come. Adam Cox is a trusted strategic advisor to leaders, executives and organisations across the globe. Dr. Yuta Tobias Mortlock is a social psychologist who researches and advises on how to help people at work be and do well. Dr. Matt Wilkinson is a marketing strategist and educator who helps life science and tech companies bring disruptive products and brands to market. If you're interested in the presenter's work or wish to sign up for their newsletters, go to thestrategybehind.com. The Strategy Behind is an original podcast produced and engineered by Santiago Castello. Music is composed by Judson Lee. And to find more episodes, visit thestrategybehind.com forward slash podcast. Thank you.